0: Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund.
1: Your new excuse to not pay attention during class. You didn't hear that from us. We're KULTFM. Everything you and I. Buddy, It is a Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on 94.5 KULT, everything you and I. As I said, this is the Logan Blackman Show. I am your host of the Logan Blackman Show, Logan Blackman. We are here. We are live. It's 12.06 right now in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and right now it is 36 degrees and sunny on the beautiful campus of the University of Northern Iowa here in the basement of Mocker Union. And right now in Cedar Falls, there's a wind coming out of the northeast at 10 miles an hour. Humidity is 72%, feels like 29. And there's a 10% chance of snow. That doesn't make me happy, people. That makes me pretty upset, actually. It makes me pretty freaking mad. I don't hate snow. I I'm from Iowa. I don't hate snow. Snow is a part of has been a part of my life ever since I was a little kid. Snow's been a part of everybody's lives, if you're from the Midwest, since you were born, essentially. But it's the on and off again, snow, warm weather thing that we got going on right now. And it's it's really annoying, just to put it lightly. This past weekend, it was like 46, 50 degrees outside up here in Cedar Falls. Beautiful weather. Absolutely beautiful. Yesterday was perfect. Most perfect day of 2020, I would say. Sun was out. There was a little, there's a light breeze in the air. It was just a great day, pretty much. Good day. You and I got a win yesterday. Went to that game. Sold out to McLeod Center yet again. Second one this season. Earlier this season, they sold out against Drake. So that was good. DC defenders had a less than uh less than admirable performance against the LA Wildcats. Let's just say that. But other than that, yesterday was perfect weather-wise. You and I game-wise, perfect. Saturday, fun day. Saturday, one of those uh, lazy days, I guess you could say. Kind of a lazy day, kind of not of a lazy day. I I actually showered, unlike last Sunday when I did absolutely nothing. But it wasn't a lazy day for certain people out there in the sports world. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll also talk about, as I said, you and I's win. Over Southern Illinois, we'll talk about the XFL. We got quarterback talk in the NFL. The combine is starting up. The the official like tests start on Thursday with all the fun things to watch. Right now, they're going through the interviews and measurement process. We got some measurements in there. In there, we got some more predictions for quarterbacks. Spring training for baseball started up today, or not today, but recently. So we had games all weekend, which is always fun when baseball starts up again. It's always a very, very fun time. We also got some more college basketball to talk about today. This is just a weird weekend of college basketball. Just a weird weekend of college basketball. Got new AP Top 25, new Coach Poll Top 25. Uh, Joe Lenardi released his latest bracket for his Bracketology on ESPN. We'll go over all the other scores, the MVC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12, as we usually do after... A set of games after you and I, Iowa State, and Iowa play. Iowa State was in action this weekend. I guess you could say they played in a game. (laughs) They were there. They were present. Did they actually play? Talk about it in a little bit. Iowa was not in action yet this past weekend. They'll be in action tomorrow against Michigan State. We actually got a little interesting factoid about Iowa and Michigan State going into this game. But first, I want to talk about this. So today is February 24th, 2022, 24-day. Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant day, essentially. Gianna Bryant wore number 20... wore number two. Kobe Bryant wore number 24. So it's just a... It's getting brought up again. It's a sad moment in the world of sports. Sad moment in just the world in general. Everybody knew who Kobe Bryant was. Sad. Extremely sad day. Some people, like myself, when I looked at the date and saw the updates on ESPN and Twitter and stuff like that, still can't believe it actually happened. Still in that weird state of that that didn't actually happen and like Skip Bayless said when it first happened it's like it's Kobe Bryant there's no way this is true it's Kobe Bryant he can't die this shows the the fragility of life I guess you could say it's a, it was an extremely sad day. still is sad for a lot of people sad for around people in the NBA that knew him that knew the other people that were on the helicopter the baseball family who had their, it, it was just an extremely sad day, and this is just another day of remembrance for all those people that were lost on that fateful, in that fateful helicopter crash in Calabasas, California, over a month ago. It's just, uh, it's just weird. It it still doesn't feel real. You kind of forget about it a little bit, and then it comes up again, you're like, man, that that that's still actually happened craziness. Extremely sad day for everybody involved on that day and this is just another day of remembrance for all of those involved here on 224 2020. So, moving on from that, uh Saturday, as we talked about there was an awesome boxing match. We talked about it a little bit on Friday, talked about it a little bit all of last week, I think, mostly on Friday. Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, the biggest boxing match of, if you're a college student of your entire life, pretty much, biggest boxing matches since Mike Tyson went around the ring and was dominating people, massive, massive, massive boxing match, two undefeated giants, and I mean that in the real sense, as well as the in the sports sense Because they are two monster human beings. Deontay Wilder, 6'7", weighed in at 231, which was a little bit of a problem for him because that's the heaviest he's ever been, trying to get up closer to Tyson Fury's weight, who weighed in at 273. But Deontay's never fought at that weight. He looked gassed from the start. It was pretty much right after the second period, or second round, he was done. He won the second round, Fury won the first round, Wilder won the second round, and then throughout the rest of the fight, it was all Tyson Fury, and the ref kept getting in there because they were clenching each other a lot, so they deducted a point from Tyson Fury. One of my roommates said, that's not going to be a big deal, he's not really going to need that point, point." and even if it did go all the way, I don't think that point really mattered anyways, but Tyson Fury was not going for a decision in this fight. He was trying to end Deontay Wilder. We talked about this on Friday, that he said... That he was going to knock him out in the second round. Now, that didn't happen, but he came very close at the end of the third round. Knocked him down for the first time since 2010. He knocked him down twice in the fight. First time he's been knocked down since 2010, Deontay Wilder. Wilder has, some would call it, the most lethal right hand in the world. The most lethal weapon in sports is Deontay Wilder's right hook. Or right overhand, whatever you want to call it. 42 wins, 41 knockouts, now one loss and one draw on his resume. Thank you very much to Tyson Fury. Now, Tyson Fury, this is not the first time he's been a big deal in boxing. He was obviously a really big deal. He's always been a big deal in boxing. Beat Vladimir Klitschko in uh, 2015, took all the belts from him, and then went in they stripped the belts all away from him. He was in within a lot of controversy. Tyson Fury was. We're not going to go into full details on all of that, but then started fighting his way back up. Showed up to a Deontay Wilder boxing match and was calling him out the entire times. Like I want you, fight me. And then the fight actually happened back on December first, I think, in 2018. Draw, in my opinion, Tyson Fury won the mo- won the fight. I still think that, but. He wasn't full strength. He was, a, as he says, the ha- a half man. He had like 12 weeks or so to prepare for the fight. He did not look good in shape at all and still managed to get a draw out of it. And Deontay Wilder, Floyd Mayweather, who has been known throughout the history of the world to not be the smartest person in the world. Everyone pretty much knows that. He can't read, first off. And that's pretty much a pretty decent sign. But, I mean, he's got a lot of money, so he doesn't really need, need to read. But but Floyd Mayweather came out and said all he goes for is the knockout. There's so much more to boxing than just the knockout. His defense isn't good. His jab isn't good. His footwork's not very good. That's what he said basically about Deontay Wilder, which is all facts. Deontay Wilder worked the jab very, very well in this fight. Much improved jab on Tyson Fury, but Fury was just too much for Deontay Wilder in this fight. It was an absolute domination from Tyson Fury on Deontay Wilder, and Tyson Fury, before the fight, said he wanted to taste blood and literally licked Deontay Wilder's neck when his ear was bleeding, busted his eardrum. I would fully suspect that his eardrum exploded, so his equilibrium was all off, so he couldn't stay balanced, so every time he got hit, he was basically... Wobbling all over the place. His his corner ended up throwing the towel in the game, uh, throwing the towel in the fight. Great move on their part. I mean, I I love, I respect Deontay Wilder a lot. I liked him. I like both Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, both really good people, both extremely talented boxers. So I had no problems with any of them. So when my friends would ask me, Logan, who do you think's gonna win? I was like, I don't really know. The fact that they drew last time makes it hard to predict. But I'm siding with Tyson Fury because he's He's more prepared for this fight than he was in the first one. But Wilder, every time he got hit, he was wobbling all over the place. He went to his corner, I think, in the seventh round or something. He looked dead. His head was down. They had a towel over by his ear. He was barely coherent. I don't think he was coherent. He did not look – he would lean up on the ropes so much in the fight. Like, every time the ref would pull Tyson Fury off, he's leaning on the ropes. Taking a breather. He was breathing out of his mouth, which is a telltale sign they are gassed. He was mouth-breathing like crazy. He threw in a couple of good punches in there, but it was just a domination. Tyson Fury landed more punches, 58, than Deontay Wilder threw. He threw 55 punches. Fury threw 58. It was an utter domination in this fight. And credit to his corner... For throwing in the towel. Deontay Wilder, I was going to say this a little bit ago, but then I got on another tangent. I respect him because he wanted to go out on his shield. He wanted to, if he he was going to lose, he wanted to get knocked out. But his corner did the right thing and protected him. Deontay was not there at the end of the fight. He got blasted the entire fight. But credit to Deontay Wilder. He's a champion for a reason. Now, some people say his fights were handpicked for him. He hasn't fought a lot of top contender boxers in his career. I think he's fought like two top 10 fighters in his career, but still a champion nonetheless and extremely powerful right hand. And in the end of this fight, Tyson Fury got the ring belt and the WBC belt, the two biggest belts in pretty much all of boxing. So in the fight, Tyson Fury walked away with the WBO belt, the WBA belt, the ring belt, the IBF belt, the WBC belt, the lineal championship and the IBO belt. Now he beat Klitschko back in 2015 to get all the belts minus the WBC and the ring belt, and now beat Deontay Wilder to get the ring and the WBC belt. He got all the belts back, but he was stripped from them originally. With Tyson Fury dominating, Klitschko was on a 19-match title defense streak. He had 19 title defenses. Tyson Fury beat him. Deontay Wilder had 11... It was 10 or 11, and beat him. Tyson Fury is going to start getting talked about as one of the greatest boxers of all time, sooner rather than later. Now there's going to be talks of who he fights next. There's going to be a lot of people pushing for the Anthony Joshua fight, which has been talked about for years. But everyone's opinion on Anthony Joshua kind of changed once he got pounded by Andy Ruiz back in Madison Square Garden. Now, yes, he went back and beat Andy Ruiz earlier this year. Or it was, was it late last year or earlier this year? I watched it, but I don't remember if it was in January or December. It was one of those two back in Saudi Arabia. Beat him there, but everyone's opinion kind of changed. Now, it's kind of the same situation with Deontay Wilder, that some people go, his fights were handpicked for him. He's been spoon-fed everything in his career. And then he got smacked when he played in a, a massive, massive underdog in Andy Ruiz. Similar to the Buster Davis-Tyson fight, Tyson Mike Tyson fight, years ago. Buster Douglas, not Buster Davis. So that's going to be one that gets talked about a lot. Tyson Fury said he would be open to fighting Anthony Joshua, but it would be in Las Vegas, it wouldn't be over in England, which is where they're both from. Tyson Fury a Manchester guy, big Manchester United fan. So I've been a fan for him for a while because of the Manchester United ties. grew up watching Manchester United. So got to cheer for your Manchester United people. There's also talks of people of Fury fighting Andy Ruiz, which uh, realistically do does anyone actually think that fight will happen? Yes, he beat Anthony Joshua, but that was a one-off fight. He's not going to be fighting a lot of other people like that. You would imagine. So the most but I don't know. Maybe Andy Ruiz can get himself in there. He thinks he's going to fight Anthony Joshua for a third time. That's not happening. Said that after he lost the fight to Anthony Joshua. But the one that's most likely is a rematch with Deontay Wilder. Both Fury. Fury has said he is open to a rematch with Deontay Wilder. Wilder has about 30 days or so to say he wants a rematch. They have a a rematch clause in their contract for this fight. Fury has said he'll, fight, re, he'll rematch Deontay Wilder. He is open to that. So we'll see if that actually happens. It will more than likely happen. They had three matches in their contracts for this. I would, I, I think everybody would be fine with watching that fight again. Now, everybody wants to see. Now, they're probably going to have to fight other people between this next fight. So we might see the Fury versus Joshua fight before the Wilder Fury Part 3. So we're probably going to see that first, but you know, whatever, it's, it's going to be fun whenever it happens again, because everybody's been clamoring for this fight ever since the last one happened and ended in a draw. Then when Tyson Fury went to ESPN, it was like, oh, this fight's never going to happen. And then they did the joint promotion with Fox this time, ESPN and Fox and broadcast the fight. It was awesome to watch. I had a feeling Tyson Fury would win the fight. I did not think it would be like that. About how utter domination, how how much he dominated the fight. I did not see that coming at all, how much he dominated that. Now, a lot of people after the fight with him, combining all the belts, uniting all of the belts. There's a lot of belts in boxing, obviously. He won all of, he's got all of the belts in the heavyweight division right now. Or not all of them. Joshua's got like two of them or something. But he's the lineal champ. So he is the heavyweight champion of the world. He is the heavyweight. He is the best heavyweight boxer in the world. Pound for pound boxer, different story. Because you're going to get talks like Lomachenko, Terrence Crawford's going to be in there as well. But Tyson Fury, man, how dominating he was in that fight. was just awesome, awesome to watch. Now, some people are starting to compare him to Muhammad Ali with his uh, the extroverted personality that he has. If you watched the the prelims of the fight or the main card for the fight, and watched all the fights before the main the main event, the locker rooms were just complete opposites of each other. Deontay while they're stretching; he's laser focused, as you can see, he's pacing back and forth. He looks ready to go. He's getting taped like two hours before the fight. He's just he's just ready. And then you watch Tyson Fury. They go to him first. He's sitting on a couch laughing with people, and then they cut to him again. He's trying on crowns and dancing really weird and laughing in the stu, laughing in his locker. He is just a loose character. He's got the footwork. He's fast, and he's got that "I'm better than everybody" mentality that Muhammad Ali had when he was the heavyweight champion of the world. Craziness! Absolutely crazy fight. Loved every second of it. Congratulations to Tyson Fury on uniting the belts, getting the big boy belts as well. The WBC and the ring belt are like the two biggest belts in the heavyweight division. The WBC belt's the one that everybody wants. That's the main belt that everybody wants. The green belt, the legendary green WBC belt. That's the one they want. And I look forward to whenever this rematch happens, or whoever Tyson Fury fights next, because it's going to be an awesome fight. Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. We will have to see, but whoever he fights next, whoever they fight next, it is going to be awesome. It's going to be an absolutely awesome watch. And moving from boxing to another very physical sport, soccer, uh, MLS opening week is finally here. MLS kicks off on Saturday, as we talked about on Friday. We'll have the whole MLS preview come this Friday. Go through each game, talk about my predictions for what teams are going to finish where in the MLS this year, top score, uh, supporters, Shield winners, MLS Cup winners, runners-up, all of that great stuff coming up on Friday. So it's just good. It's just a fun week. MLS is kicking off again, so that that's just always exciting. I love watching the MLS. It's not one of the bigger leagues in the world, but it's growing a lot, and I absolutely love it. Ready for Sporting Kansas City to win MLS Cup number three, last one since 2013. Be a fun one. So here are your games for this upcoming weekend of MLS action. We're just going to talk about the games. We're not going to. We're just going to tell you the games. We're not going to go in depth about each game. We're just going to go over each one. First one, kicking off the new season, is DC United hosting the Colorado Rapids. they to be at 12 on Saturday. The Montreal Impact will be hosting the New England Revolution. Houston Dynamo will be hosting the LA Galaxy. San Jose Earthquakes will be hosting Toronto FC. FC Dallas will be hosting the Philadelphia Union. Real Salt Lake will be traveling to Orlando to play Orlando City. Atlanta United going to newly expansion team, the new expansion team in MLS, Nashville SC. Former expansion team Atlanta United, MLS Cup champs, best arguably the best player in MLS in Joseph Martinez, him and Carlos Veya are probably the top two. If uh, may, There might be some other people thrown around in there, but I think those are by far the top two players in the league. Uh, Carlos Vela had an amazing first season in the MLS, winning the Golden Boot, I think, and also winning the MVP of the league. Joseph Martinez has won the Golden Boot, set records for goal scoring in a season. Just another dominating player. We'll see how Nashville can handle him with getting Walker Zimmerman, from LAFC, that's a good get for Nashville to help sure up their back line for that game. And the final game on Saturday is Vancouver hosting my Sporting Kansas City. That's the last game on Saturday being 9.30 p.m. And that one should be a fun one there on Saturday. Moving on to Sunday, the Columbus Crew are hosting New York City FC, New York Red Bulls, the other team in quote-unquote New York. New York Red Bulls are in New Jersey. At least NYCFC is in New York City. They play in Yankee Stadium. New York Red Bulls are in New Jersey like the Giants and Jets. They're from New Jersey. They're hosting the worst expansion team in the league, FC Cincinnati, the worst team in the league last year. I would I'm expecting them to be the worst team again. They're just not a good team. So that'll be a, an interesting game come Sunday. The Seattle Sounders are going against the newly renovated chicago fire their rebrand is in full swing it's a little delayed i guess your uniforms are a little bland their logo is i hate their new logo first off so we'll see how the new rebrand goes with chicago fire see if they can get back to past glory playing in soldier field this year but for this one they're going to CenturyLink field in seattle uh the other last two games on sunday lafc will be hosting newly expansion team inter miami david beckham's team will be traveling to lafc to face them in the Portland Timbers will be hosting Minnesota United on Sunday at 630. So those are your games for opening weekend in MLS. This is the Monday, first Monday of opening week of MLS. And I am very, very excited for this upcoming season. Again, full preview coming up on Friday. We're going to take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman show. We'll come back. We'll talk about some college basketball. You and I men's and women's teams were both in action. And both of them got very nice wins over conference rivals this weekend. We'll talk about all that and more coming up right after this.
2: 94.5 K-U-L-T-L-P in your car online and on your phone
1: You got to go and dig those holes And I'm tired With broken hands and withered souls emancipated from all you know You got to go and dig those holes We're just, we're singing. Welcome back, to everybody, watch. to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. What a banger this song is. I wish I didn't play this for just a break, like a return from break, because I want to play that whole song. Who doesn't love the whole song now i completely forgot about the whole song until i saw it on twitter because someone tweeted out uh what's your favorite fake song that came from a movie and someone tweeted this count and played the whole song And i was like oh my god what the, what a banger the holes movie is awesome the whole's book is good as well i had the book growing up read that in elementary school the movie's amazing as well stanley yale nates love the movie love the book Love the soundtrack, just a great overall system holes had going on there. And that song absolutely slaps. You cannot deny that. What an absolute banger that song is. And they were talking about holes in the song. Obviously. The book and movie are called holes. So they were gonna talk about holes. Dig them holes digging. And you know who almost digged themselves right into a hole was the UNI Panthers men's basketball team. <laughs> puns, yeah. They lost two games in a row, both on the road, to Loyola and Indiana State. Two games they should, look at, on paper, should have no problems in. Should dominate both those games. Or not dominate, but win both those games. Both teams, though, very good at home. But compared to what UNI has been doing this year and how good and talented UNI is, they shouldn't be losing those games. So it's digging themselves into a little bit of a hole if they want the at-large bid. But they righted all of those ships by beating Southern Illinois yesterday on Senior Day on ESPNU. For any of the, you who watched the game on live TV, the UNI Panthers win 64-52 to over the Salukis of Southern Illinois. Now, you and I, they won the tip, started off pretty bad. They missed their first three shots of the game. And then they started to get rolling. They were clicking on all cylinders. They were going they were at twenty-four to eleven at one point. 24-11 was the score. I was with two of my friends, and I said, Hey, you and I, they started off probably as bad as you possibly could have, but they are in they're in cruise control now. They are in cruise control right now. And then uh, I think they forgot they were in cruise control. Or they didn't forget and they just kept it on cruise control because they didn't step on the gas at all at any point towards the end of the second half. Southern Illinois, at the end of this first half, went on a 23-2 to run to close out the first half. At the end of the first half, the score was 34-26. It was 24-11 to at one point. And then they just could not miss. They were on fire. Southern Illinois, again, 23-2 to run. At the McLeod Center, where I is undefeated on the season. Still are. Still are undefeated because, as I said, they beat Southern Illinois in this game. But that was a scary moment. They were not playing good defense. They were struggling a lot on the offensive end and defensive end there. Eric McGill made a three. Uh, Barrett Banson Barrett made a three. Banson made a three. Harwin Francois made a three. He made three threes in the game with three or four from three, three or four from the field. So they were on fire, Southern Illinois. But then you and I woke up in the second half. Started off really, really good. Went on an 18-0 run in the second half. They absolutely dominated in the second half. They scored 38 points in the second half, while Southern Illinois only got 18 points there. You and I, 23 and five on the season, 12 and four in Missouri Valley Conference play. Southern Illinois drops to 16 and 13 now, 10 and six in Missouri Valley Conference play, but. Porter Moser and his team, or not Porter Moser, uh, Brian Mullins. Porter Moser is the Loyola coach. Brian Mullins and his team have done great things this year. Uh, they've exceeded everybody's expectations going into the season. They were projected to finish last in the Missouri Valley Conference, and now they're challenging teams like you and I. They've been a much better team at home than they have been on the road, but they've been a good team this year. As I said, 16 and 13, a good a good record. Nothing that's going to get you in the tournament, but if they win the Missouri Valley Conference this year in the tournament style, they'll go to the tournament. But we'll have to wait and see on that. For the UNI Panthers in this game, A.J. Green struggled shooting the ball in this game, went 2 of 12 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, missed a free throw, which was insane to watch. His first miss, I think, of twenty twenty, which was a weird thing to witness. He's still leading the Missouri Valley in free throw percentage this year, but it was just weird to see him miss a free throw. So you could tell something was off, In the game, 2 of 12 shooting, missed a free throw, had four turnovers, were trying to force too many passes in this game, scored nine points in the game, did have two steals and five rebounds. Usually we expect with you and I having a 12-point win over a conference rival, you would think A.J. Green is the main scorer, the main guy getting all the points for the Panthers. That actually came from Mr. Double-Double, Austin Fife, who almost had himself a double-double-double-double. With 20 points and 20 rebounds, double-double, we'll just call that the 10-point, 10-rebound-plus thing. The double-double-double-double is doubling up on your double in both rebounds and points. He had 17 points and 18 rebounds in the game, 11 offensive rebounds. That shows you and I was struggling shooting the ball in the game because Austin Fife was eating up offensive rebounds. He also had five assists in the game and two blocks, led the team in 18, Every important statistical category. Points, rebounds, assists, blocks. Just a great game from Austin. Five. best game he's had this year for the UNI Panthers. With 7 of 10 from the field, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. Best game I've seen from Mr. Double Double all season. He won unit of the week earlier this year. He could possibly be the first ever two-time unit of the week award winner. No one's ever done that before but he might very well be the first one. We've come close a few times. DK Metcalf came close last year. We've had some close calls on back-to-back or two-time unit of the week winners, but I don't think we've ever had a two-timer. Austin Five could do that in the span of a month, let alone a full year, just a, a month he could do that. 17 points, 18 rebounds, 11 offensive rebounds in the game for five, with five assists as well. Also in the game, Isaiah Brown on senior day, the senior had 15 points, two rebounds, and two steals in the game. Also had a nice little dunk on the other end. When Isaiah Brown gets a steal and he has open space, we all know he's going to yam it down. Now, it wasn't like the one he had earlier this year where he just cocked it back like LeBron and just yammed it off the back iron. It's been a little bit more of a controlled dunk. It hasn't been something as loud as the one he almost did uh, about a month ago. But Isaiah Brown, great game in the game. 6 of 12 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3 in the game. Also, as I said, 15 points was one of two UNI Panthers to get above double digits in this game. Spencer Haldeman had 9 points in this game, also had 5 rebounds for the 6 foot guard. That's very impressive, but struggled shooting the ball for like A.J. Green with 3 of 8. From the three-point arc, Burhau also struggled, scored only three points, went one of seven shooting, one of four from three, with four rebounds in the game off the bench. Pickford led the team in scoring with six points. Had a couple nice little plays there, offensively and defensively, Taiwan Pickford. Six points, seven rebounds, two assists, one steal in the game for Pickford. Kimmons and Dahl also got minutes in this game. Kimmons forced a lot of issues in this game for Southern Illinois. With his speed, went to the rim really fast, but that also caused problems for himself because he'd be going too fast. But he's got some insane quickness. Made a three in this game, went one of one for the three-point arc. Uh, Got a nice little steal, or forced a turnover from Southern Illinois. But just a great overall game in the second half for the United Panthers. Can't say overall game, like in the entire game, but great game plan in the second half. Really turned it around the second half. Shot 13 threes in the first half. Shot only seven in the second half. So they just turned it up. They shot zero free throws in the first half. So they upped all of their numbers pretty much from the first half to the second half. They shot 33% of the field in the first half, 46.4% from the second half. They shot 30% from three in the first, 42% in the second. Shot no free throws in the first half. Shot 13 and made nine of them in the second half. So just an overall great second half adjustment from the UNI Panthers. To get the win there for Southern Illinois, Eric McGill and Barrett Benson led the team in scoring with 11 points. Lance Jones had 10 points in the game as well for the Southern Illinois Salukis. You and I Panthers men's team will take on Evansville for their last home game of the regular season. Todd Licklider appreciation game game will be at seven on Panther Sports Network, or ESPN Plus, at the McLeod Center. So you go to it, catch it on ESPN Plus. That's their last home game of the year, second to last game of the season, regular season, I guess. They'll play the Drake Bulldogs on the 29th on ESPN2. That game will be at 5 p.m. Central Time. Again, at Drake, so will be at the NAP Center. So if you want to go there, if you're from Des Moines, or if you're from here and just want to travel down to the game, be on ESPN2 if you don't want to do that. So be interested to see how the rest of the season pans out for the UNI Panthers. They now... Have sole possession of first place in the Missouri Valley with Missouri State beating Loyola at home on Saturday. So now you and I, sole possession of first place back to where they want to be in the Missouri Valley. Still have that number one seed locked up. All they need to do is not finish below Loyola in the Missouri Valley Conference standings, and they will have the first overall. They are the number one overall seed in the conference because, again, Missouri Valley, when it comes to seeding for the tournament, they go off the net rankings. You and I, very much above Loyola in the net rankings. You and I, this past weekend's net rankings came out. They are ranked 46th in the net, dropping down a few spots as expected. They lost two games in a row to teams that are not very high in the net, so that dropped you and I in the net. They went from 40th to 47th, now up to 46th. So, yeah, you and I, all they have to do, not finish below, below Loyola if they win one of their last two games, which we fully expect them to beat Evansville. Evansville, though, has been playing very, very well as of late. They still haven't won a conference game, but have been playing well. If they just win that game, they get the number one overall seat. Because even if they lose to Drake, they'll be tied with Loyola at the very, at the very worst, and they'll be fine because they're above Loyola, Loyola's in the 90s for the net rankings for that. So, but just a great game for the UNI Panthers in that one. 64-52 win over Southern Illinois. The women's team... For the UNI Panthers, got a massive upset victory over the Bradley Braves this weekend. They got smashed by Bradley last time they played him, 61-47 to in Peoria, Illinois. Coming off a loss against Illinois State at home in overtime, lost 69-61. to Beat up on Bradley, 60, 64-57. UNI scored 43 points in the second half to get the win in this one. 43 points 20 points in the third quarter 23 points in the fourth quarter to get a 64 to 57 win over the Braves Bradley now drops to 10 and four in conference play you and I eight and seven and 16 and 10 overall for the Unite Panthers Carly record led the team in scoring with 16 points had four assists and three rebounds as well Megan Moss had nine points in the game and seven rebounds cam Finley who has been pretty much their only scorer. In their past few games, they didn't score. No one scored over 10 points in their last home game, I think. Maybe it was two games ago. I can't remember. Where they all scored seven points except for Finley off the bench. Finley was now put into the starting line, scored eight points in this, also had two blocks and two assists in the game. Bree Gunnels, seven points and 12 rebounds for her, also had three blocks in the game. And Nicole Kroger, finishing off the starting five, had six points and five rebounds. Abby Gurtis led the team off the bench with seven. Rose simon wrestler had six points off the bench as well, so led the team off the bench with five rebounds and also two assists. For Bradley, Chelsea Brockman had 15 points in this game with seven rebounds. Tatum Cohen, 14 points in the game for her. Nigel White had 12 points and 10 rebounds, also had four turnovers in the game, which led Bradley in turnovers. And Laisha Petrie had 10 points for them. And Gabby Hack led the team in rebounds with 11, but only got two points. Went one of nine from the field in that game. 0 of three from beyond the arc. Six six assists, 11 rebounds, but only two points and struggled shooting the ball. Big win for the UNI Panthers team. A dominating second half. 43 points scored in the second half for them. Very impressive stuff for them. They have three more games remaining in this season. They'll play Valparaiso and Loyola both on the road. Traveling to Valparaiso, Indiana on February 28th. This Friday, that game will be at 6 on ESPN+. Plus, and they'll play Loyola on Sunday at 1 on ESPN+. Plus. That game will be at Loyola, both games on the road. Last time these they played these two, beat them both at home. Beat Loyola by 20, 70 to 50. Beat Valparaiso 77 to 70. So we'll see if the Panthers can repeat what they did earlier this year by beating these two teams. Then they'll face on One of the best teams in the Missouri Valley Conference for women's basketball, the Drake Bulldogs, on senior night. Game will be a gold out. So make sure you rock your UNI Panthers gold gear, your gold Panthers gear, for senior night. That game will be on March 6th. we will have a nice little break before their last game of the regular season. Conference play for the women starts on March 12th in Malone, Illinois. So make sure you tune into that. Those games will start on the 12th. End on the 15th on ESPN Plus is when those games, where those games will be aired. So, yeah, we'll see if the UNI women's team can make a nice little run and go make a big run in the conference tournament and go to the NCAA tournament. I don't think they're going to be able to make it with the regular season stuff. Obviously, I don't think that's impossible with the Missouri Valley. Now, if they were in the Big Ten, Big 12, more likely, obviously. More teams get in from the bigger conferences, as we all know. So we'll see how the women's team does in the conference tournament, finishing out the regular season as well. Should be a fun one. Big win over Bradley. Very impressive win over Bradley. See if they can ride that momentum going into games against Valparaiso and Loyola in that one. Should be very fun next weekend for UNI basketball. And this, This Wednesday is going to be fun as well against Evansville, even though they've lost every game they've played. It's still going to be a very fun matchup. So we're going to take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. A little shorter segment right there, but we'll come back, talk about the scores around from the state of Iowa. Iowa State was in action on Saturday. little disappointing result against Texas Tech. We'll go over all the scores in the MVC, Big Ten, and Big 12. We'll also talk about all the craziness that went on in college basketball this past weekend with top 25 teams dropping like rocks, dropping like flies this weekend. We've also got two games tomorrow night with Iowa and Iowa State. We'll talk about all that and more coming up right after this break.
0: Go out It's hard to miss you when you follow us about buy us some shoes and maybe take us for cola We'll get you there in some I hit ya, but we don't have no choice. We're going be our, 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 our. We're gonna be following time once more. Give us a kiss and maybe we can go out. It's hard to miss you when you follow us. Buy us some shoes and maybe take us for cola. We'll get you there and some. We'll take big on the line. It's me now, but by the channel, of, pop off your daddy you again. Anyway, I choose to come on <laughs>
1: Goodwill, and just past that vintage denim jacket, you spot miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, that's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a it- you just need feedthepig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. 945 KULT LP, Cedar Falls, streaming live at uni.edu/kult. On Facebook at KULT Radio. We are 945 KULT. Everything you and I
0: The moment we need it the most, you kick
1: top 25 and also a team in Iowa just a bad overall day they stunk on saturday i feel bad for you guys for top 25 teams across america and the iowa state Cyclones, but we their season's already been bad enough but yeah
0: cuz you had a bad-
1: had a bad day or a bad couple days Saturday and Sunday were just bad days for fans of top 25 teams and teams in the state of Iowa or one team in the state of Iowa, I guess you could say, or the big boys in the state of Iowa. I guess you got one other team, a bad day for two big name, Iowa basketball schools, but let's go over what happened Saturday with the Iowa state cyclones. Now, they're hosting Texas Tech this past weekend. Texas Tech third in the Big 12 right now in conference standings. Nine and five. We're nine and five going into this game. Iowa State four and nine going into this game. It was going to be a tough task. It was going to be a tough task, but I didn't think it'd go like this. I Part of me was like, Iowa State could do some madness and just win this game, surprisingly. Shock everybody. Hilton Magic's still alive, and they rush the court or whatever because they like to run, rush the court for anything, really. But, yeah, it, it, it was not meant to be on Saturday. It was not meant to be at all. 87-57 to 57 was the final in Hilton Coliseum against Texas Tech. And, yeah, just wasn't a good game for Iowa State. Solomon Young led the team in scoring at 16 points. For the Cyclones, also had five rebounds in the game. Matt Jacobson had 10 rebounds in the game. Reciere Bolton, 13 points for him. Also had five turnovers and fouled out of the game. Him and Tyrese Jackson fouled out of the game. Trey Jackson, not Tyrese Jackson. Not a great game for Iowa State. Tough one, tough one. Nixon, Prentice Nixon, nine points in the game 4 turnovers 4 of 15 shooting 1 of 3 or 1 of 3 multiply that by 2 1 of 6 from the 3 point arc just not a good day for Iowa State a very overall bad day now Texas Tech to their credit could not miss they shot 57% from the field in this game 57% from the field they shot 37% from 3 6 of 16 from the field Wade, seventeen of nineteen free throws in the game. It was was just not going to happen for Iowa State. Thirty-two of fifty-six from the field was Texas Tech, fifty-seven point one percent from the field. Ramsey for Texas Tech led the team in scoring with with twenty-five. Edwards had nineteen in the game. McCuller had eleven rebounds for the Red Raiders, and Holyfield had ten points and four blocks. In this game for the Red Raiders. And Shannon led the team in scoring off the bench with seven, but did foul out in the game. We had four steals as well. It was just not a not a good game all around for the Iowa State Cyclones. Very tough game, losing by 30 points. That's Iowa had troubles doing that earlier this year. Lost to Purdue by that margin pretty much. Just an overall bad game. Iowa State had 15 turnovers, only eight assists in the game. That's not very good, to say the least. Eight assists in 15 turnovers. 15 turnovers is bad, but you only have eight assists in the game. That's even worse. Ramsey for Texas Tech had seven assists by himself in the game, while also scoring 25 points and getting five rebounds. Just a tough, tough day. For Iowa State. Hopefully they can rebound for their sake, but they were just never in this game. They were down fifty-one to thirty-five at halftime. Then they lost the second half, thirty-six to twenty-two. Like they were just not in this game. Hopefully, for their sake, they can get a nice little bounce back win tomorrow against TCU. No break, no time to mourn their loss here. Gotta go right back at it on Wednesday. Still at home or Tuesday, still at home though. Game will be at six o'clock on ESPNU if you want to watch that game for whatever reason. Why that game's on ESPNU and not ESPN Plus is ridiculous. TCU 6-8 and eight in conference play, 15-12. and 12. Overall, the two have already played each other this year. TCU won 81-79 in overtime in this game. Very close game throughout the entirety of it. Just a very good game. Halliburton in this game had 22 points for the Cyclones, but it just wasn't enough. Just wasn't enough in the game. So we'll see if Iowa State can bounce back. It was a very close last time they played, but don't have Halliburton. So that makes life incredibly difficult. They also got at Oklahoma State on the 29th to round out their season. Okie State, four and ten in conference play. Was had zero wins like two weeks ago in conference play. Now sitting at four and ten in conference, tied with Iowa State in that regard, but have a better overall record. Then they play number twenty West Virginia was coming off a loss this week, and Kansas State. So they got a... Three of their last four games are very winnable games for the Iowa State Cyclones. Very winnable games. Could easily walk away with three wins out of those last four. They could upset West Virginia in this game. West Virginia's been playing very weird since the last time they played Iowa State. So maybe they pull off an upset there as well, but just a tough, tough result for the Cyclones at home against Texas Tech. Got blown out by 20 against Kansas 30 against texas tech so if we're going by that and going by patterns they should lose by 40 to tcu but for some reason i just don't see that happening so yeah hopefully for their sake they bounce back and the hawkeyes they were not in action this weekend but they had a nice little win against ohio state in their last game beating the number 25 ranked buckeyes on thursday 85 to 76 garza 24.6 rebounds and four assists for the Hawkeyes in that game. Looking to play Michigan State this Tuesday in a top 25 matchup in the Big Ten. Number 18 Iowa versus number 24 Michigan State at Michigan State. The only time the Hawks will play the Spartans this year. Be on ESPN2 at 6. Should be a fun one there. At the Breslin Center in East Lansing, Michigan. I saw this interesting tidbit on Twitter from the Hawkeye basketball Twitter account. It says Tuesday is the first time in 14 years that Iowa, ranked number 18, is ranked higher than Michigan State, who's ranked 24th in the AP poll when playing. The number 20 Hawkeyes beat an unranked Spartan team on March 11, 2006 in the Big Ten tournament 53-48. If you would have told me at the start of the season, now that stat's crazy enough, that 14 years the Hawks haven't been ranked above Michigan State and played them. If you had told me at the start of the year when Iowa was losing, not losing, getting smashed by DePaul, that they would be 19-8, and 10-6 in Big Ten play and joint second in the Big Ten and are ranked higher than the Michigan State Spartans. If you had told me that at the beginning of the year when Michigan State was ranked in the top three and Iowa was unranked and nowhere near the top 25 after losing to DePaul, that they would be ranked higher than Michigan State. I would have called you absolutely crazy, especially after losing Bohannon and Nunji and now C.J. Frederick, who looks like he's closer to playing than people originally anticipated, but still, Iowa is ranked higher than Michigan State and is second in the Big Ten. Now, they're tied with Michigan State. They're tied an overall record, or pretty close. They're one game off an overall record. Iowa 19-8, and Michigan State 18-9, and and joint in Big Ten conference play this year absolutely crazy. Best coaching job of Fran's career, by far. I think everybody has signed off on that, that. That This is clearly his best coaching job ever. At the beginning of the year, I didn't know if Iowa would make the tournament. Knowing Bohannon was going to be out, they lost Tyler Cook. Didn't think Luka Garza was going to be this dominant. No, I mean, Nobody did. Maybe Luka Garza did, but no one, no fan did. Losing Nunji, losing a uh, Isaiah Moss to Kansas, who's been starting for the Jayhawks this year, did not think Iowa would be where they are right now. 18th above Michigan State, second in the Big Ten. Crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. Right now in the net rankings for the Iowa Hawkeyes, they're ranked 27th in the latest net rankings. 18th in the nation, 27th in the net. Crazy good season for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And it can get even better. If they beat Michigan State, then I can come here on on Wednesday and say pretty much the exact same thing I just did, but add in, and beat Michigan State. If you would have told me when they lost to DePaul and Michigan State was ranked third, second, third, or first, wherever they were, that Iowa would not only be ranked above Michigan State, be higher than them in the Big Ten, have a better record, and they would beat Michigan State, man, that would have called you crazy. That's what I'm waiting for on Wednesday. Now, we'll have to wait and see if that happens. Iowa struggled on the road this year. The last road game, they got absolutely pounded by Purdue. And pounded is being a nice way to put it. I mean, they well, I guess that's the last one I remember. But they also got pounded against Indiana. Beat Minnesota. But I don't know why the Purdue game was the only one I remembered. They played two more road games in there. But, yeah, fun one we got coming up tomorrow night on ESPN2. Iowa's rainy schedule... Unlike Iowa State, who's got three very winnable games there, Iowa's got a very tough schedule ahead. At Michigan State, hosting Penn State, hosting Purdue, and going to Illinois, who Illinois, very good at home, as most teams are in the Big Ten this year. So very tough remaining game, remaining season. Penn State, ranked 16th, got absolutely, at least to me, shocking loss this weekend against Indiana, back-to-back losses for the Penn State Nittany Lions, losing to Illinois and Indiana at Indiana. Penn State will go on to play Rutgers next on Wednesday. Will be at six on Big Ten Network. But geez, back-to-back losses for Penn State this year. Still second in the Big Ten. Now, when I say joint second, Iowa joint second. The other teams are tied with our Penn State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. And Illinois is a half game out of that. They are nine and six in conference play this season. Just a crazy year in the Big Ten. Ohio State was ranked first in the nation at one point and now currently sit 8-8 and 18-9 overall, fifth to last in the Big Ten. This year's just been crazy in college basketball. And Iowa being second in the Big Ten is crazy to every Iowa fan out there. It's just been an enjoyable season for Iowa basketball fans. It's just been an insane season for them so with that being said let's go over we talked about Penn State losing this weekend let's go over all the other scores that happened in the Big Ten this past weekend starting off on Saturday we had Michigan going to Purdue beating the Boilermakers 71 to 63 beating them really badly in the first half 36 to 21 Purdue pulled it back but not close enough for the Boilermakers in that one Going to Sunday, Ohio State, who we talked about, 8-8, eight eight, fit the last in the Big Ten, beat Maryland. Yeah, I'll let that sing in. Ohio State beat Maryland on Sunday, 79-72. to 72. Absolutely crazy result there. It was at Ohio State, but I just did not see Maryland losing that one, especially the next one I'm going to talk about, Indiana and Penn State. Did not think Penn State would lose to Indiana in this one. Yes, Indiana is a very good home team. Penn State's the best road team in the Big Ten. They ranked ninth in the nation. I did not see them losing to Indiana in this game. They were getting blown out by 13 at halftime. Penn State tried to pull it back, but Indiana just never kept their foot off the gas in that one. Won a game there. Wisconsin beat Rutgers 79-71, and Minnesota beat lowly Northwestern 83 257 to round out the games on Sunday. Now, for a Big Ten play as well, we got games, as we said, going up on Monday, Tuesday. We got Nebraska going to Illinois in that one. Illinois is a 13.5 point favorite over the Cornhuskers, albeit tonight at 7 on Big Ten Network. And we got Iowa, Michigan State tomorrow on ESPN2. The game will tip off at 6. Fun ones there. Very fun ones. Michigan State, Iowa is going to be an awesome game. I cannot wait. For that game, that game will be an absolute blast to watch. Hopefully, Iowa doesn't play like they did against Indiana and Purdue and get absolutely smashed by Michigan State because Michigan State has that in them. Though they, it's been a really weird season for Michigan State, but they're still Michigan State and they're still coached by Tom Izzo, so they're always a threat. Going over to the Big 12, Kansas in a battle of one versus three takes down Baylor. Baylor beat Kansas at Fog Island Fieldhouse. Earlier this year, Kansas returns the favor and beats Baylor at Baylor 64-61. to As a bouquet, 23 points, 19 rebounds and three blocks for the Kansas Jayhawks. Great game from him. TCU upset West Virginia 67-60 to in that one. In overtime, Scored outscored the Mountaineers 12-5 in overtime to pull out the win there. This is what I was talking about with West Virginia playing very weird ever since playing Iowa State. That's a prime example of that. Uh, moving on from that one, Texas beat up on Kansas State, seventy to fifty-nine. Okie State beat Oklahoma, eighty-three to sixty-six. And as we said, Texas Tech destroying the Cyclones at Hilton Coliseum, eighty-seven to fifty-seven. Just a terrible game. We got Big Twelve action going on tonight. We got number twenty West Virginia going to Texas. Game will be on ESPNU. That will get started at 6 p.m. tonight. And Oklahoma State is traveling to, ooh, geez, Fog Allen Fieldhouse to take on the Kansas Jayhawks. West Virginia, 5.5-point favorite over the Longhorns. And Kansas, 14.5-point favorite over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Moving on to Tuesday, TCU and Iowa State will take on each other on 6 on ESPNU. Kansas State. We traveling to number 2 Baylor, the worst team in the Big 12 going to the joint best team in the Big 12. Should be a fun one there. And Texas Tech will take on Oklahoma tomorrow night as well. All of those will be broadcast on the ESPN networks. And now for our final conference, Let's go over to the Missouri Valley Conference who had a lot of good games this weekend. Missouri State beat up on Loyola 74 to 62. We thought that one would happen. You and I now has sole possession of first place in the Missouri Valley. Illinois State upset Drake 57 to 53. Drake really bad on the road this year, but not think they would lose to Illinois State this weekend and Valparaiso beat up on Bradley in the second half. 54 to 36 outscoring the Braves in the second half winning 90 to 78 in the game. Good win for Valpo and moving on to Sunday as we said, you and I beat Southern Illinois 64 to 52 and we were so close in calling it. We said Evansville will get their first win against Indiana State. They're up by six at halftime, and they just couldn't pull it out. 62-64 to 64 was the final there. Evansville, very, very close to getting their first conference win. Thought they would do it here. They will take on you and I on Wednesday, and then Illinois State will be their last game at home. Illinois State, as we've talked about numerous times, is the only team in the MVC to have zero road wins on the season so that's a chance very good chance for Evansville to get their first win in conference play i wanted them to get it this week though really wanted it Valley will be in action on Tuesday night so tomorrow night Drake will be taking on Loyola that'll be a very fun one Loyola very good team at home Drake if it wasn't for Illinois State would be the worst road team in the Valley this year Worst road team like overall record. Evansville, worst team in the Valley, but has three wins on the road this year. None in the Valley though, but that should be a fun one there. Missouri State will take on Valpo. I think the two home teams will get the dubs in this one. Loyola beating Drake in that, and Valparaiso getting the win over Missouri State. Then we got games on Wednesday, but we'll talk about these more on Wednesday. We got Bradley taking on Illinois State, Evansville going to Northern Iowa, and Indiana State taking on Southern Illinois. So should be a fun couple days in Missouri Valley Conference basketball. Two more home, two more games in regular season for the men's team in Missouri Valley Conference before the conference tournament starts, and that is always a fun time. The conference tournament for the Missouri Valley will start on March fifth and go through March eighth. That'll go on through Saint Louis. March Madness is getting close, guys. March Madness is closing in, and I am very, 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 very excited. Some teams that had March Madness dreams kind of sat, kind of ruined this weekend. Or not ruined, because they're all still going to go. But it wasn't a fun weekend for a lot of teams that would be going to this tournament. Well, I guess there's some teams that are going to the tournament that got good wins here. But for the top teams that were going for one seeds, not a great weekend. Not a great weekend. We had a lot of games that disappointed the top teams this year. As we said, Baylor losing to Kansas 1-3. That one could have gone either way. It's a one-versus-three matchup. Gonzaga lost to BYU this weekend. 91-78. to Great performance from BYU. Yoli Childs for BYU. 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists. Upset win over Gonzaga. Great win for the Cougs of BYU. Great win there. UNLV gives San Diego State their first loss of the season. San Diego State was 26-0 going into this game. UNLV, 14-14, beat San Diego State at San Diego State. I could see it better if it was at home for UNLV, but the fact they did it on the road is ridiculous. They beat San Diego State 37-25 at halftime. San Diego State clawing back, but it wasn't enough. 66-63 was the final there. And then we go on for the more college basketball for more top 25 losses. All of these next ones are to unranked teams. Not great looks for these top 25 teams. As we said, West Virginia lost to TCU 67-60 in overtime. UCLA beats Colorado 70 to 63 in one of the toughest home home arenas in college basketball over in Boulder, Colorado. Great win for UCLA. Providence upsets Marquette 84 to 72, and Memphis upsets Houston 60 to 59. So those are your scores from Saturday. Moving on to Sunday, we got Ohio State beating Maryland 79 to 72, and Indiana Indiana beating Penn State 68 to 60. Almost had one with Evansville beating Indiana State, but it was not to be. It was not to be. It was so sad. I wanted them to win so bad, but they couldn't. They couldn't do it. They are getting close to win. They will get one for more season gets, before the season gets over. We'll come against Illinois State. I just wanted to come this week because we said that would happen, but just couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. Let's go over this new updated Top 25 that got released just about, I don't know, a half hour ago? No, about an hour ago, I would say. About an hour ago, this new Top 25 came out. We got a lot of movers. As we said, there was a lot of losses for a lot of good teams this weekend, so... There's quite a few movers this week. Uh, the new number one team of both the AP poll and the coaches poll, the Kansas Jayhawks. 24-3 overall, best team in America right now. Baylor dropped to number two. For the AP poll, has Gonzaga at three, followed by Dayton, San Diego State in the top five. Florida State, Duke, Kentucky, Maryland, Creighton moving up five spots. And now when they're the biggest movers, or one of the biggest movers in the top 25, Louisville and Villanova both stayed 11 and 12 Seton Hall jumps three spots to 13. Oregon stays up 14. Auburn and Penn State drop spots. Penn State dropped seven spots in the rankings, dropping to 16th or ninth after two losses in a row. BYU moves up six spots to 17. Iowa moves to 18th. Michigan, the biggest mover in the AP poll, moves up seven spots to 19. West Virginia ranks 20th, dropped to 20th. Colorado drops to 21st. Texas Tech moves up to 22nd. Ohio State to 23rd. Michigan State back in the top 25 at 24. And Houston. Dropped three spots to 25 Marquette, Butler, and Arizona all dropped from the rankings. Going over to the coaches poll, as I said, Kansas and Baylor both rank 1 and 2. Dayton is number 3 with Gonzaga 4. San Diego State ranked 5. Florida State, Duke, Maryland, Kentucky, Louisville rounds on the top 10. Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, Penn State, Auburn's your top 15. Oregon, Iowa at 17th in the coaches poll, 18th in the AP poll. BYU, West Virginia and Colorado round at the top 20. And Texas Tech, Michigan, Ohio State, Arizona, and Michigan State round out your top 25. Michigan State and Arizona in the coaches poll are both joint 24th in the nation. So we do not have a number 25 team right now, Michigan State and Arizona, both receiving the same number of votes in the coaches poll. So they're both 24th. And in both polls, you and I, not in the top 25, after losing two straight road games, Weren't going to be in the top 25, obviously. Receiving votes, though, in the coaches' poll, they'd be ranked 40th. They have two votes received in the co- AP poll, I mean. In the coaches' poll, they have received three votes. So after two straight losses, they we all knew they weren't going to be in the top 25. They were close. Before those two losses, they ain't that close anymore. They ain't that close anymore. But they are still in Joe Linardi's latest bracketology bracket, which is always a good thing. I mean, we didn't expect them to completely drop out, because they're still the best team in the valley. You and I right now, eleventh seed in the in the eastern side of the bracket, taking on sixth seed Ohio State. We'll play the winner of Seton Hall and Hofstra on that game, and the number one overall seed in the East bracket is San Diego State because you know what? That makes sense. Makes sense. The Western bracket is where Iowa lies. They are the sixth seed, taking on Utah State. They'll take on the winner of Creighton and New Mexico State. The number one overall seat in that conference is Gonzaga. And overall, the rundown of the teams in the conference, the Big Ten has the most with 10, the Big East with 7, Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC with 5, SEC with 4, the American Conference with 3, West Coast with 3, Mountain West with 2, A-10 with 2, and the Missouri Valley with 1. And that is the UNI Panthers represent the UNI Panthers Represent the Missouri Valley well in the tournament this year. I'm excited. Everyone's excited for March Madness. It's one of the best times ever. Who doesn't love March Madness? I have, I'm yet to meet a person that doesn't like March Madness. And I hope I never do meet those people because that person sounds miserable. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break right now on the Logan Blackman Show. We'll come back, talk about week three of the XFL some exciting stuff. There's some disappointing parts from my end as a a fan. We'll talk about some NFL stuff as well and touch on a little bit of spring training action that went on this week. So all of that being said, stay tuned for that coming up right after this break.
2: broken heart and soul. And what do you do with the left over you And how do you know when to let go Where does the good go Where does the good go Look me in the eye and tell me
0: knowledge belongs to us and us alone the way our girlfriends walk talk touch their hair details that only a sister can know about her girls but what about our other girls the ones we carry with us every day our bond with our sister girls gives life but knowing your breasts can save it go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health brought to you by susan g coleman and the ad council
1: If variety is the spice of life, your ears must be burning. Welcome to KULT-FM, everything you and I. Welcome back, everybody, to this... Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. We're playing some rock and roll because it's the XFL. The rock and roll version of the NFL. This is the XFL. This weekend, I kind of, we talked about this a little bit on Friday, about the XFL return thing. I didn't, I'm not, a, I'm, it's starting to lose me. Starting to lose me. We got our first kicker return for a touchdown in the XFL. St. Louis did a little reverse thing. Now I'm still, still, still not a huge fan of it. Kind of lost me after week one. It's kind of boring because people are getting like two yard returns. It's not very fun to watch, but Hey, you got your first return. Got to start somewhere. So hopefully that means we're going to get a lot more returns now with that being said. So hopefully we'll see that more, but that wasn't the only thing that happened this weekend. We had a lot of a lot of stuff happened this weekend for the XFL. We had three more ga- three weeks. We are three weeks into the XFL. St. Louis getting their first home game, selling twenty seven thousand tickets or something around that. Insane, filling up the Edward Jones Dome. I know it's not called that. I think it's like the Dome in America Center or something like that. I don't know. I I know it as the Edward Jones Dome, so that's why I will continue to call it. I don't care what anybody else says. So, yeah, they got their first win, or not first win, but a good win over the New York Guardians, 29-9. Just, uh, New York's just not a good team. Let's just put it, let's just say it like it is, they're not a good team. And they showed it again. 29-9 was the final. St. Louis, Jordan, Tamu, 119 yards in the game, only threw 18 passes On the ground, Jones led the team in rushing with 95 yards and a touchdown. Michael had 44 yards and a touchdown as well. For the Guardians, they played all three of their quarterbacks this week. Matt McGloin was not good again. Probably complained on the silent because nothing's ever his fault. So Marquise Williams went in. He wasn't good either. And then if you're a fan of the Logan Blackman Show, and have been for, let's just go a year, because that's all you really need to do at this point. The New York Guardians third quarterback that went in was Luis Perez. Why does that name sound familiar? Cuz if you listen to last year, Luis Perez is the dude. Luis Perez, Luis the dude Perez, formerly of the Birmingham Iron, who learned to play football from YouTube and was a college bowler, or high school bowler and went to college and dominated college, he was the dude. And now he's getting a chance to play in the XFL. I hope he starts next week. He threw a touchdown in this game. Four or five, 80 yards and a touchdown. Going to Duke in that game. 43 yards for Duke in the game. But yeah, good stuff from Luis the Dude Perez. Four or five, 80 yards. Give him another start because all your other quarterbacks stink. The Dude learned to play football through YouTube. And now he's dominating. If you go back to last year, we Luis Perez is the Dude. I'm so happy he's finally getting a chance to play in the XFL. Loved him in Birmingham. He was awesome in Birmingham. Or not Awesome's a weird word, but he was good in Birmingham. I love Luis Press. So get your chance, Luis. Hope that works out for you. That was on Sunday. But let's go back to Saturday. The Houston Roughnecks had a closer game than initially expected from the Tampa Bay Vipers, who are well-documented here as the worst team in the XFL. Tampa Bay scored 27 points in this game. That's weird. I don't like talking about Tampa Bay scoring more than two points in the game. Cornelius in the game, 195, 193 yards, touchdown in the game. Quinton Flowers, four six sixty seven yards in the game. Cornelius also had 33 yards rushing. Smith, 49 yards rushing in the game. Flowers and Cornelius both had rushing touchdowns, but it wasn't enough because why? The Houston Roughnecks have the league MVP. Yes, I know it's only week three, but there's nothing telling me otherwise that P.J. Walker, Philip Walker, whatever you want to call him, is not the league MVP. So far this year, P.J. or Philip, whatever you want to call him, again, has absolutely dominated, and this past week was his best game in the XFL. His best against Tampa Bay, 306 yards passing, 67% completion percentage, three touchdowns, no picks. 34 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown as well. So far this season, 748 yards passing, 10 touchdowns, one pick, makes amazing plays happen all over the field for the Houston Roughnecks. So much more likable that he's the starting quarterback instead of Connor Cook. I could not. I loved Houston's uniforms going into the season. I was like, oh, man, I really like Houston. But Connor Cook's their quarterback, so I can't cheer for him. Man, I wish... PJ Walker beat him out so much sooner than what he did. Cause I would have been a Houston fan. I love PJ. Actually, I don't know about that. I liked Car- I like Cardell Jones a lot, but PJ is running away with the league MVP right now. He is by far the best quarterback in the XFL right now. Cardell Jones has a stay, but he was atrocious this past weekend against LA. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And Cam Phillips is the best receiver in the XFL. This week, 194 yards and three touchdowns. All three of P.J. Walker's touchdowns went to Cam Phillips. They they didn't dominate in this game, but P.J. Walker, Cam Phillips, dominating again. Butler on the ground for Houston, 72 yards in the game for him. Houston's got the best team. Houston's got the best quarterback. Houston's got the best wide receiver. P.J. Walker, I saw Pat McAfee tweet about this a little bit ago today. Right, it might have been today or it was two days ago. It might have been on Saturday. He said PJ Walker is this XFL's version of Tommy Maddox. Now, if you don't know who Tommy Maddox is, he was by far the best player in the XFL 20 years ago when it first came into existence. Played for the LA team back then. I think they were called the LA Express or Extreme LA Extreme. I can't remember what they were called. Something along those lines. Tommy Maddox played very well for the Los Angeles XFL team and eventually wound up getting an NFL contract from the Pittsburgh Steelers. After the XFL folded, Tommy Max came in and was a pretty decent starter in the NFL. While playing for the Steelers, he started what? 35 games over five years was two years. The unquestioned starter of Pittsburgh started 27 games in that time span. Pittsburgh though, in those games did not, they went seven and three his first year as the go-to guy. And then six and 10 when he started every game. Now, wasn't all his fault. He was still a very solid quarterback in the NFL. Now, touchdowns, interceptions a little bit, I'd like a little more there, but he did win NFL Most Improved Player after winning XFL MVP. He was replaced, of course, by Ben Roethlisberger in 04, got a Super Bowl ring, and then walked off into the sunset. Now, Tommy Maddox is the only real quarterback that anybody talks about from the old XFL, except for Brom, who had that awesome quote when he's talking about if I had a, do I have a pulse? Yes, I do. Is this or is this not the XFL? Yes, it is. Let's go play football. Like that quote is awesome. But other than that, there wasn't really any quarterbacks that that were worth mentioning, other than Tommy Maddox, because he actually made something from his career after playing with Los Angeles in the XFL. PJ Walker has a very good shot at making an NFL roster. Now he was on the roster of the Indianapolis Colts for a couple years but now in the xfl he's showing off what he can do and has been absolutely dominating this season the xfl run away so far for the mvp i said it was close last week with him and i'd say Cardell jones but good lord what a i don't even know what to call this what a terrible game Last night, between the D.C. Defenders and the L.A. Wildcats. We'll talk about that one a little bit. Well, let's talk about the last game on Saturday between Dallas and Seattle. Seattle, 1-2 and two on the season. Dallas, 2-1 and one after losing Week 1 to St. Louis. Landry Jones, three passing touchdowns, two picks, 274 yards passing in the game. Parham led the team in receiving with 101 yards, receiving two touchdowns. Cameron Artis Payne, 80 yards rushing for him. For Seattle, Brandon Silvers. 204 yards passing and two touchdowns. And Austin Pearl 81 yards in a touchdown for Seattle. Keenan Reynolds, former Navy quarterback at 37 yards receiving in the game as well. Kenny Farrell got the other receiving touchdown for the Seattle Dragons. Dallas, now 2-1. and one. We're expected to be one of the best teams in the league going into the season. And they're starting to show that now after back-to-back wins. Got a nice one against L.A. on the road and got another one on the road in Seattle. Two very... I don't know what to call it. The Seattle's got a very passionate fan base in regards to all sports. So it was a very tough environment to play in, but they got the win. In our last game, we got to talk about DC defenders going up against the LA Wildcats. DC got absolutely stomped by LA. It wasn't even close from the first drive of the game. LA looked like they were going to dominate that game. Josh Johnson was hurt week one. Came back week two, played good, not great. Now he's looking in the flow. Josh Johnson, this might be controversial, maybe not, is the best quarterback in the XFL when he's healthy. Because if you look at Josh Johnson's career, he is always the guy that is linked between the NFL and all the other lower leagues. So like the AAF, he was the first overall pick in the AAF draft of the San Diego Fleet, and now he's one of the top picks in the last XFL draft for the LA Wildcats. Constantly, he was on the Redskins last year. He's constantly getting linked to other roster spots in the NFL. Josh Johnson and P.J. Walker are two very talented quarterbacks, and Josh Johnson showed that when he's healthy, he's arguably the best quarterback in this league. Now, I know right now P.J. Walker, as I said, runaway MVP candidate, but in regards to full talent, Josh Johnson is insane. Love watching Josh Johnson play. I have a San Diego Josh Johnson card, football card when I was younger. I got that. He's a baller, though. 278 yards passing, three touchdowns, two of them to McBride, who had 109 yards receiving. Spruce, their leading receiver on the season, didn't really see any action until, like, the second half. He only had three catches in the game, and Carter, three of three receiving targets, 41 yards, touchdown in there. Carter also had 34-yard rushing and two touchdowns in the game. Now, that's the good stuff. Let's talk about what the defenders did in this game. Cardell Jones first loss in his career 13 and one now as a starter he will complete 50 percent of his passes 103 yards and four of the worst picks you'll see in your entire life terrible picks just terrible nothing great about it. now he has four touchdowns and five picks on the season not great he was looking very very good the first two weeks of the season this past week, he absolutely stunk. He sucked, to say the least. He just sucked. And D.C. in general sucked. It wasn't just all on Cardell. Their team just sucked. They lost by 30 points to L.A. L.A. is clicking now. They played with backup cornerbacks, and he threw four picks. Like, it was just an off day for D.C. They're on the road again next week, but hopefully they can turn that around in their next game, because this game is something they want to forget about. Cardell Jones got benched in the game now. Tyree Jackson, not challenging for the starting job at all for D.C., but did play in the game. Just a a bad game for the D.C. defenders and Cardell Jones. Josh Johnson carved up what looked like the best defense in the XFL. Made him look like an indoor football league defense. Like they were playing with seven people on the field. They just dominated the game. There's no other way to say it other than that. This is the worst game of the season so far in the XFL. A 30-point drubbing by L.A. to what a lot of people, including myself, thought was the best, com- most complete team in the XFL. Very high-power high power offense with the best defense. That best defense, air quotes, allowed 39 points to an 0-2 LA Wildcats team. This is why when they were 0-2, I put them above teams like Seattle in my power rankings because they had the potential to be one of the best teams in the league. They just were without their quarterback week one and just played the preseason favorites to win the league week two. They just needed a little bit to get, under, to get their wings underneath them, get their feet underneath them, not wings underneath them. But yeah, tough, tough week for the D.C. Defenders after dominating the past two weeks. Looked like a shell of themselves this week. Now, we got some fun games next week as well. I'm excited for a couple games next week. So next week, we got on set, starting on Saturday at 1, LA Wildcats versus the New York Guardians. game. we got ES-ABC. Next game, Seattle Dragons and the St. Louis Battle Hawks. Be at 4 on Fox. Then going on the Sunday, Houston versus Dallas. Early pick for game of the season right here, Houston versus Dallas. Now, I know St. Louis versus Houston, or St. Louis versus Dallas and St. Louis versus Houston. No, it was just St. Louis versus Houston, not St. Louis versus Dallas, are the games of the season so far. That's the game of the year. Houston versus St. Louis. But that Houston versus Dallas game, Dallas's first home game of the season, or actually second game because they lost their first home game of the year, should be a very, very fun one. And D.C. going to Tampa to take on the Tampa Bay Vipers on ESPN, two, Hopefully they can get a win there because Tampa Bay, worst team in the league, but they did play a lot better at home this past week than they did all year in their first two games on the road. So maybe they're just a way better home team than a road team, like most teams are, but hopefully D.C. can bounce back from that. But Houston, man, I thought D.C. was the best team in the league. No, it's Houston. So here's my week three power rankings for the XFL. for Best team in the league, Houston, only undefeated team in the league, high-power offense, best quarterback in the league. They're the best team in the league right now. Going number two, St. Louis has looked awesome their games this year. The only reason they lost week two is because they played the best team in the XFL. So St. Louis, with that home crowd, if that home crowd stays consistent throughout the rest of the year, which I have no doubt it will, because St. Louis, though I do not like any of their teams, I actually hate all of their teams, have a very passionate fan base. Look at the Blues, the Cardinals, very passionate fan base. Hate both those teams, but very passionate. If they can keep that up, they'll be a very they'll be a force to be reckoned with the rest of the year. Dallas is number three in this list. It's very close between them and DC, but Dallas I have there going at number three. DC, for losing my 30 points, drops from number one to number four in the week three power rankings. They looked terrible yesterday. I cannot, If you did not watch the game, I will speak for you. They played absolutely terrible against LA. So they dropped all the way to number four in my power rankings. Number five, LA. Uh, they have the talent, and they showed off on, on yesterday. They showed it out. One and two now. Josh Johnson's back and healthy. Proved it in that game. Their defense is playing with backups right now, and they still looked very, very good. So they'll get things turned around as the season goes on, so I have them at number five. Number four, I have the Seattle Dragons going in at number four. Number five, or uh, no, I got it mixed up. Number six is Seattle. Uh, they played two very good teams their first two of their first three weeks. Got a win week two. Home crowd, they have a pretty solid home crowd there in Seattle, so I think they'll get a couple more wins, but right now they're the sixth best team in the league. The f- seventh? easily the New York Guardians that team stinks I don't know what they did week one except play the worst team in the league and even in week one when they won 23 to 3 they still allowed like 400 yards of total offense their defense isn't good they just couldn't Tampa Bay just couldn't score in the red zone New York sucks they are terrible their offense stinks The only reason they looked good and semi-competent week one is because Tampa Bay's defense is even worse than our offense is. So New York's number seven on this list. They haven't scored. They scored nine points last week, zero points the week before. They're bad. They're a very bad team and very overhyped team. And the last ranked team, Tampa, that's been the same thing I've said all year. Don't really think it'll be changing. Unless they pull off a massive upset against DC this week. But that's my power rankings. We go Houston, St. Louis, Dallas, D.C., then we go LA, Seattle, New York, Tampa. That is my week three power rankings for the XFL. So I hope you all enjoy those power rankings. Now that we talked about the XFL, let's talk a little bit about the NFL. We got about 15 minutes, six, now just 15 minutes left in today's show. The Combine. Started officially this weekend. Quarterbacks, all the people coming in, getting their measurements, doing their interviews, all that stuff. But the events actually don't take place until Thursday, like the the tests and all that stuff. So starting on Thursday, we got the quarterbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers. Friday, got the kickers, special teamers, O linemen and running backs. Saturday, we got the D linemen, running backs and Sunday. We got the defensive backs. When I said I think I said D backs on Saturday, D back D linemen. Are on Saturday and big news coming out of the combine is that number one overall prospect Chase Young is not participating in any of the combine drills, which is which is fair. A lot, a few, a fair few prospects don't participate in the combine drills. Lamar Jackson didn't participate in the 40-yard dash. Kyler Murray didn't participate in the combine at all, and now Chase Young's not doing it this year. So, not really surprising that he wouldn't do all of the workouts, but yeah, he will be available though for interviews and medical testing. So he'll be doing all that stuff, but he's just not going to participate in the drills. He's going to do all the drills at the Ohio state pro day, which will be a little bit later. He is fully healthy as he says, but he just wants to impress the front office. He wants to focus on the interview aspect of the combine right now. Focus more on the, the drills and such later for the Ohio state pro day. So That's sad that we won't be able to see Chase Young, but I completely understand where he's coming from. He's a top three pick guaranteed. So he doesn't really need to prove anything at the combine. For people that don't need to prove anything, why would they waste their time at the combine? Do the interviews, get the measurements, do the testing, do your pro day. That's basically what – if you're guaranteed to go one, two, or three, and he's pretty much guaranteed to go one or two – guaranteed to go two – Unless the Redskins trade back, which if they get some amazing offer from like Miami or something, then they could trade back. But right now, he's pretty much a lock to go number 2 to Washington. So we'll see how that goes. And we also got for the combine, which again takes place starting on Thursday for quarterbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers. We've got 16 new drills that are coming to the NFL scouting combine for quarterbacks. We got new end zone fade routes, which is... Very good stuff. They need to work on some fade routes. That's what a lot I think a lot of quarterbacks need to work on because it's a very difficult throw, even though it's only from three yards. You gotta practice getting a height on the ball, making sure the receiver can catch it. Know your receivers. Make sure they can go up and catch it. Make it throw a catchable ball, essentially. Very low percentage pass, but if it works, it works. You also got time smoke now. Route drill. So we got that one as well. Quarterbacks will throw one pass receiver running a smoke now route, usually a route that is adjusted at the line based on pre snap reads, indicating a quick completion will be available against soft coverage on each side consecutively. For the running backs, we got the Deuce Staley drill, which is named after former Eagles running back and current assistant coach Deuce Staley. Volvo running back going up, lining up behind a horizontal step over bag is part of the new of three bags late from across the running back will step over the bag in front of him then laterally over the perpendicular bag then backwards over the horizontal bag before repeating the path in opposite direction coaches lined up eight yards away holding pop-up dummies will move in coordinated fashion creating a hole for the running back to identify before exploding through it the drill is designed to display a running back's ability to use eyes while navigating physical obstacles. also call also as a ball carrier might perform while running it inside zone play which doesn't create a defined target for running back but instead the possibility of a number of options to run through you also got the inside routes with a change of direction as angle routes become more common in the passing game as angle routes in madden are like the cheatest routes ever if you're if you're struggling for completions or if you want to go on a late two minute drive Angle routes from the backfield are pretty much unguardable. Do a spread option, do spread offense, angle route, 20-yard gain pretty much every single time. So they'll be working on that, and they'll be eliminating the pitch and cone drill and find the ball drill. For the receivers, as we said, the end zone fade routes, we talked about the quarterbacks, and the toe trap toe tap drill has been eliminated. Tight ends also with a toe trap drill eliminated in end zone fade routes. Offensive the line, I have new mirror drills and new screen drills. Mirror drill will be players lined up, lines up at a set point between middle of two corners, roughly six yards apart, and sides laterally, slides laterally left to right based on coach's direction. Drill places emphasis on feet and change of direction ability of a player with at least four movements left to right, testing the lineman's mobility and ability to make quick sharp movements essentially new screen drill will be a player will set up in pass protection position then release and sprint forward towards coach holding blocking shield 15 yards wide of starting point to stimulate to simulate engaging and releasing action of screening linemen if the if the first coach steps upfield the player must adjust direction and advance to second coach at whom he will break down and engage if first coach remains stationary, player will break down and engage him, and will not advance to second coach. So we'll see how that one goes. Defensive line run and club drill, run the hoop drill. They eliminated the stack and shed drill. Linebacker shuffle sprint change direction drills, short zone breaks drill. They eliminated the drop pass rule, drop pass drill. Defensive backs the line drill. Terry Allen, uh, Terry uh, Terry Allen, uh, former U and I coach, I believe. Terrell Austin drill, box drill, and gauntlet drill. They eliminated the close and speed, turn, pedal, and a hip turn drill. So those are your new drills. I didn't fully explain the last, like the defensive drills, because we got about nine minutes left in today's program, so I want to talk about something else before we carry on with the remainder of the show. Mock Draft 2.0. I know I said I would re- release it either today or Wednesday. I'm going to release it next Monday. It makes more sense to me releasing it next Monday because the NFL Scouting Combine's this week, starting Thursday again, ending Sunday. So I can get a full read on prospects. I will watch the entire Combine if I can because I think the Combine's prime time this year. So a better chance to watch that. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. And looking at the combine, there's a lot of prospects around there, obviously, trying to get a job in the NFL. A lot of prospects that draw the eye of people. And there's a lot of prospects that people view need to have a good combine in order to get a higher place in the draft, because higher draft picks equals more money, better chance to start, and stuff like that. So I'm going to go through a bunch of positions and talk about which player in that position group needs to have a good combine to help them move up in the draft. For QBs, I'm going with Jacob Eason, former Georgia quarterback, now at Washington, or formerly of Washington as well. He's kind of a fringe first-round quarterback. Now, the obvious pick would be to Tagovaiola. let we'll to see how mobile he is after his injury. Dude's going to be drafted in the first top. He's going to be drafted in the top five regardless. Jacob Eason is why why I put him here. Well, they want to see his athleticism, first of all. Don't really know how athletic he is. We know he's got a rocket arm, and we'll see that in action when on Thursday. So that's what a lot of people are going to be looking for. That will definitely help his draft stock. I currently think he'll be a second-round pick, but I definitely think he could be a first-round pick. If he shows out at the Combine, he will probably be a first-round pick. Running backs, we got Cam Akers from Florida State. Now, the running back thing, this one's going to be interesting because I don't think any of the running backs will get drafted in the first round. I think DeAndre Swift and um, J.K. Dobbins have the best chances of getting drafted in the first round. I would say DeAndre Swift the best out of the pair. You got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as well from LSU. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. So we got all those people that we can talk about. But they're all expected to go in the first, late first, second round. Somewhere around there. Cam Akers, some people have said, is the uh, another Marshawn Lynch, essentially. 5'11", 2'12", put up good numbers at Florida State, but nothing that's going to blow your mind away. He had uh, uh, about 1,400 yards or 1,100 yards last year, improved on his sophomore year where he only had 706 yards. Now, Florida State, they're not very good. They're pretty bad. Everyone kind of knew that. Their offensive line was one of the worst in the nation. So we'll see how he does with all of his drills because right now, he's not going to get drafted in the first two rounds, at least we we would think. There still is a chance, but if he shows out the combine, shows off his catching abilities, speed, and all that stuff, he could get pushed up into that conversation. at Wide receivers, now this one, both these guys are going to go in the first round, but I think they could move up in the draft with a comp- great combine performance. First one I want to talk about, I have two here. Is Henry Ruggs the third from Alabama? Now, he is projected to go in like the 15 20 range, somewhere around there. If he breaks the 40 yard dash time record, he could easily go in the top 10. We could be possibly talking about him going to the top 10. If he runs a 4 1 something, we are talking about him possibly going in to the top 10. Because speed kills. John Ross got drafted ninth overall. John Ross is not a better receiver coming out of college than Henry Ruggs is. That dude has got elite speed. And look at where the NFL is going. Look at the team that just won the Super Bowl. Well, actually, look at the two teams that went to the Super Bowl. The amount of speed those two teams had on the outside is ridiculous. They don't have that stereotypical big-bodied wide receiver. For the Chiefs, if you want to call Sammy Watkins that, good to know. Both teams built extremely fast wide receivers and really really good tight ends Two, the two best in the NFL George Kittle the best player in the NFL according to pro football focus if he breaks the 40-yard dash time even if he doesn't he could still be talked about in the top 10 pick speed kills so if he impresses with that we'll see what that does and the other one's LaVisca Schnault Jr. he's had an injury played career at Colorado Wasn't very productive because he got hurt when he was in the team was way better and he was very productive, but he just got hurt all the time. So that's what they're going to look at there. He's basically the DK Metcalf of this combine, not the physical specimen that Metcalf was, but teams are, might be concerned about the production value that he had also the injuries that he had, but he will still be a solid NFL receiver as we expect. I love I love LaVisca Chenault Jr. I love this guy. But teams might not might look past him due to his injury history and the lack of production he did have. But I love this dude. This dude's an absolute baller when he's healthy. So if he stays healthy, he could have a very good NFL career. Going to the offensive line, I got two people here again. I got Tristan Wirfs from Iowa and Makai Becton from Louisville. Now with Tristan Wirfs, arguably. The best offensive lineman in this draft—they got there's four or five really talented. There's four really, 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 really good offensive lineman this draft. Tristan Wurst is one of them. Big Ten offensive lineman of the year allowed what two sacks in three years as a starter at Iowa? Or one sack in two years? Or something crazy like that? Dude can play tackle, but a lot of people are starting to think that he can play guard. He should play guard because they don't think he has the athleticism to play tackle in the NFL. If he shows off his athleticism, that will make sure people go that think he's a tackle. People draft tackles higher than guards. It's just a fact. Tristan Wirfs, great blocker. See if he has the athleticism to maintain being a tackle. I think he can be a tackle in the NFL. I don't think forty yards dash is important. I think it's the lateral mobility stuff that we we'll have to look at with the offensive alignment. And Mikay Beckton, massive dude. See how well he can move. Basically, the DK Metcalf of the lineman. Massive specimen, makai Becton. We'll see how well he can move, because that will definitely help move him up draft boards. Going to the linebackers, Akeem Davis-Gaither from Appalachian State. Smaller school, smaller size. He's 6'2", 215, very small linebacker. Some teams may want to move him to safety. So we'll see how he does in the drills, kind of like a Darius Leonard type. Smaller school, smaller linebacker but has abilities to make plays all over the field. So we'll see how uh, Akeem davis Gayther does at the Combine. Edge rusher, uh, Terrell Lewis from Alabama. He was hurt a ton in his college career. A ton in his college career. But he has a butt-ton of potential. He has an insane amount of potential. And as I put him in the first round of my latest mock draft going to the Ravens, but while he was at Bama, he just struggled with injuries. And injuries are a big thing that people look at because they don't want to draft players that won't be able to play. That's what they're looking at here. If dude doesn't get hurt, he'll play. Junior year, he was injured for most of his, he was injured most of his college career, obviously, as we've just said. So we'll see if he he does well in the drills, he'll be a lock for the first round. But we'll have to wait and see on that. Another injury played player here, Bryce Young, corner from Virginia. Some people have him going in the first round. I've seen others have him gone as late as the third round. He was a lock to go in the first round last year. Coming back, hurt his draft stock, and then he got hurt. He had an ankle injury, was hurt for a vast majority of the season. Like Jacob Beeson, fringe first-rounder. Has the ability to be a first-rounder, but don't know if he actually will be drafted in the first round but he's talented enough. Dude's talented. So we'll see how he does in all of these roles. And the final one, Grant Delpit from LSU, the Jim Thorpe Award winner, hurt a lot this year. There's a theme here. Players that are hurt are going to need to show out more than players that are not, or if they were one-season wonder. So like Joe Burrow doesn't really need to show out, though he was a one-season wonder at LSU, Ascent, pretty much. I love Joe Burrow, but I I think he'll be awesome in the NFL, but he was really a one-season wonder. But the players that get hurt in college are going to have to prove a lot because he's dropped a lot. I've seen a lot of people before, like 2020, back in 2019 when we looked at mock drafts, Pitt was a top-10 pick. We look at mock drafts now, he's not even in the first round for a lot of these people. You see Xavier McKinney from Alabama and Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota get drafted above him. So he's going to have to show out again and prove why he won the Jim Thorpe Award. Even he didn't even think he should win won it. He's like, I was injured a lot. I didn't think I should really win this. But he did because he's a talented defensive back. Ball hawking safety, tackling issues, but he can get himself back into the first round guaranteed if he has a great week at the combine, or a great day at the combine. Well, a week, yeah. So that's all we're going to talk about today on the Logan Blyman. Show. I had way more to talk about. I had quarterbacks I wanted to go through. We're just going to have to push that back to Wednesday. So look out for that because that will be a very fun conversation to have. I love talking about the quarterback situation around the NFL because there's going to be a lot of changes in the NFL as regard in regards to where quarterbacks will be come next season. It's going to be fun. It's a fun time, the offseason, because it's just a prediction time. It's not as fun as watching, but it's fun for predictions. And that's what we do here. That's what radio show people are supposed to do. That's what I'm doing. So, yeah, we'll get all of that on Wednesday. We'll have a lot more to talk about on Wednesday. Iowa and Iowa State in action tomorrow night. So make sure you tune in that. Iowa State will play TCU, Iowa against Michigan State. You and I back in action on Wednesday against Evansville. So make sure you tune into all of that stuff. Pay attention to the Combine stuff. Watch some spring training baseball. Watch some hockey, NBA, all of that stuff. And we will be back to you On Wednesday from 12 to 2 here on 94.5 KULT, everything you and I. I am your host, Logan Blackman, signing off. Peace.